We've got a few more weeks in the series to go, and this morning you will be pleased to know that we have finally come to the message on tithing. That's right. That's why you came this morning. That's what it's all about, tithing. Yep, I know, that word, tithing. It's a word that just strikes fear into the heart of most Christians. And uh, to be fair, tithe, it, it strikes cynicism into the heart of many non-Christians, doesn't it? Because there is a perception, and we might as well be up front with it at the outset, there is a perception that the church, at the end of the day, is really all about money. It's a pretty common perception, I think. And to be honest, the church has behaved in ways at times that reinforce the perception that it's all about money, that all we really care about is money and money is what makes the church go around. And some of you have had these experiences. I mean, some of you have, have, can relate to this personally because of stuff that's going on. I remember walking through a church foyer once, not in this church, uh, and there was, a, there was a whiteboard in the church foyer. Down the side, it had all these names of families, family names, from within the church, presumably. And along the, along the row, beside each family, it had gold stars and stickers to show how much each family was giving towards a particular, I think it was towards a particular financial project. But so naming by families, and then here's how you're doing towards the target, just this sort of honor and shame-based approach to giving, I suppose. Uh, you know, you've had experiences maybe where you've been in churches and the offering takes up almost as long as the sermon time, uh, or maybe churches where there's multiple offerings always taken up. Have you noticed that that can easily happen? You have like the tithe that's taken up and then the offering, and then perhaps a love offering, and then maybe a first fruits offering after, you know, it's like every offering that's mentioned in the Bible gets loaded into every service all the time, and it keeps on going and going. Uh, Some of you have been on the receiving end of bad teaching about money, and church, and giving, and tithing, and some of you have been burned by it, uh, by prosperity theology, maybe, that's, that's told you that if you just give more and more and more, God's going to give you more and more financially. He's going to load you up if you just give more to the church. But you've noticed that somehow that money seems to flow up towards the leadership of the church to sustain lifestyles and leaves other people disillusioned. And you can understand why so many people outside the church and even many Christians feel at times like the church is really just all about money. And what tends to happen is because you have all of this unhealthy talk and treatment of money in local churches, a lot of other churches and a lot of other pastors go to the other extreme, and we don't talk about it at all. We just stick our head in the sand and we just hope we'll meet budget every year, and we just don't really want to talk because we're conscious of the fact, like here, that some of you are in this church because you've had these kinds of negative experiences, so we don't ever want to go near the subject. It just becomes so taboo and so off limits. And I feel, I, mean, I feel that pressure personally. Here am I standing up. I'm a staff member in the church. I get my salary from the giving within the church. And as soon as I start talking about money, as soon as I start talking about giving to the church, I know there can be that perception that there's another agenda at work, that there's another program that's running here. And so I guess this morning, I just need to ask up front that you have a little bit more trust in me than that. And that we can just have a grown-up conversation about giving in the church. Because there has to be healthy ways of talking about this stuff. We have to be able to deal with the subject in a way that avoids these extremes of an obsession about money, on the one hand, and then just becoming a completely taboo subject on the other. In the middle, there is a biblical, healthy, non-hypey, measured approach to giving 
in, a, in the context of a local church. And all I want to do this morning is just walk through some scriptures and just look at how this issue of tithing and giving in the church unfolds through the scriptures, okay? We on the same page with that? All right, so we're going to go to our favorite book, yours and mine, Leviticus. That's where we're going to start, Leviticus chapter 27. Let's break it open there and uh, start the journey. Right at the end of the book of Leviticus, here is, uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff on tithing in the first five books of the Bible, but here's one of the clearest passages on it. Verse 30, Leviticus 27. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. No one may pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. If anyone does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. Now, the word tithe is simply the word tenth. That's just what it means. It just means tenth, ten percent. So when you see in the Old Testament talking about the Israelites giving a tithe, it always just means they gave a tenth, a tenth of this, a tenth of that. And so here you have this prescription in the law of Moses that every Israelite family is to bring a tenth of everything they produce or earn or have in a given year. They didn't have a currency. It wasn't a commercial economy like we have. It was an agrarian society. They were farmers. They lived off the land. So the law was that every year, every, a tenth of everything you produced, the, the, the crops from your field, wine, oil, fruit, veggies, a tenth of your livestock, everything you had was set aside for the Lord. And this tithe, this tenth that people gave, this went to the priests within Israel who were called the Levites. The reason it went to the Levites is because they were forbidden from owning any property. They didn't have any land of their own. Theirs was a special responsibility to look after the temple and administer a lot of the, the goings-on within Israel. And so as compensation for that, this tithe that was given every year went to sustain the Levite families so that they could run the temple, so that they could run the whole sacrificial system and a lot of the uh, logistics of the nation of Israel. So you have this Levitical tithe. 10% of all your stuff every year goes to the Levites. But that's not all. There is a second tithe that happened. In Deuteronomy 14, I won't read this passage, but in Deuteronomy 14, it talks about another tithe. Every year, every Israelite family, in addition to the Levitical tithe, was to give another 10% of everything they produced and everything they owned, all the herd, the flocks, the, the cattle, all the wine, all the olive oil, all, the, all the, uh, the produce, the veggies, the fruit, another tenth of all that. And this tithe wasn't given to the Levites. It was stored up by the families, and it was used for this huge national festival every year. They would bring it to the place uh, that was prescribed for that festival. They would eat and drink and have a massive party once a year, all the families of Israel together, this huge celebration of God's goodness, rejoicing in the presence of the Lord. So this tithe, the second tithe, went to basically it was like a national festival tithe. But that's not all. There was a third tithe. Every three years, each family within Israel had to bring a tenth of all their produce from that year. So not a tenth every year, this one. This was a triennial tithe. You had to bring a tenth of all your produce from that year, and that stuff was not given away to anyone immediately. It was put into storehouses in each town, and then it was distributed to those who were in need. The poor, the needy, the orphan, the foreigner, the widow, 
the impoverished, the Levite who needed some extra, whatever it was. It was given to the needy within the land. So you add up all these tithes, and you get the grand sum of 23.3%. That's how much Israelites were expected to tithe, an average of 23.3% of everything they had every year. Now, some of you are starting to sweat at this point, because you're wondering if I'm going to say, you need to give 23.3% of your income to the church. I'm not going to tell you to do that. If you'd like to do that, you're very welcome to, and we'll, we'll gladly receive it. But here is the thing with the tithe system in Israel. The, the whole tithing system is basically more or less equivalent to our modern system of tax. It's basically equivalent to a modern-day taxation system. The tithes were used to pay administrators of the country, the Levites. They were used for national feasts and festivals. And they were used to provide a basic social welfare service. That's what they went towards. The closest equivalent I think you could get to that today are paying your taxes. So in one sense, if you pay your taxes, you are tithing. Because that's what the Israelites were doing. This was a national government sort of thing. The tithing went to the running of the country and the social welfare services. Now some of you at this point are starting to break out with joy. Because you're thinking, this is fantastic. As long as I'm paying my taxes, I'm basically tithing, so I don't need to give anything to the church. This is the best sermon on tithing I've ever heard. Well, not quite so fast, because here's the thing. Alongside the whole tithing system within Israel, there is another category of giving. There's a whole other category of giving, and it's called the free will offering. And this, I think, gets us much closer to the New Testament idea of giving to the church. Just because they were called free will offerings doesn't mean they were optional. They were still prescribed in the Mosaic law. They were still expected. There were even certain times and dates attached to when they should be given. But the key difference with the free will offering is that there is never a set amount attached. The tithe is always very clear. The very word means tenth. But with the free will offering, there's never a specific amount attached. Let me show you just one example of the free will offering. Deuteronomy 16. There's plenty of them mentioned, a few in Leviticus and a few in Deuteronomy, different things given at different times. But here in Deuteronomy 16, there's a free will offering. And it's associated with a festival that Israelites Israelites celebrated called the Festival of Weeks. Deuteronomy 16, 9. Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the Festival of Weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. See, no set amount. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. The free will offering is fundamentally an act of worship. It is from the heart. It is an offering of of, of love and gratitude to God, and it is simply in proportion to the blessings the Lord has given you. No set amount. Maybe some people gave the equivalent of the tithe, maybe some more, maybe some less, but it's in proportion to the blessings the Lord has given you. That, I think, is the closest parallel that we find in the Old Testament to the New Testament idea of giving to the church. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 8. It's a passage where Paul talks about giving to the church and and to his church planting mission. 
And as I read these verses in 2 Corinthians 8, listen to the language and see if you can hear this language of the free will offering coming through, because I think that's what Paul's got in the back of his head as he's talking to the Corinthians about giving. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they went beyond our expectations, having given themselves first of all to the Lord. They gave themselves by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. This doesn't sound to me like tithing. This doesn't sound to me like the tithe system at all. This doesn't sound like a system of external commandments and rules and expectations. What this sounds like is worship. What this sounds like is a people who are full of grace and full of the Spirit, and out of their gratitude to a gracious God, are practicing what Paul calls a grace of giving. Giving is all about grace. It is all about the condition of our heart. That's why Paul says, having first given themselves to the Lord. This is the whole premise of giving to the church, that it's predicated on our giving ourselves to the Lord, living in surrender to Him. This is about having first given ourselves over to Jesus' Lordship in our lives, and out of that Lordship, out of His authority in our lives, we give ourselves to one another. Having given themselves first to the Lord, they gave themselves also to us. Notice, Paul doesn't even say they gave their money to us. He says they gave, what? Themselves. This is how deeply personal it is giving to the church. It is an expression of giving ourselves to this community. It's an expression of giving ourselves over to the faith community where God has placed us. This is why it's not about buying into the church vision. It's not about how much you like this ministry or that or this song or that or this leader or that or how much you enjoyed the AGM. It's about your expression of love to the Lord, having first given themselves to the Lord. They gave themselves to us, a deeply personal expression, a gracious response to a gracious God. And this is why this whole issue, you know, these debates that go on about whether should your giving to the church be based on your gross income or your net income? And should it be exactly 10% or can it be 9 or can it be 11? All those questions, they are so academic. They are so utterly irrelevant Because instinctively what we want, what you and I want on this issue, we just want someone to tell us the the line. Just give me the rule. What's the number? Just put the number. I'll write it down. What's the number? Is it 10%? What do I have to give? Come on, give it to me. We want to know. Where is it? Just tell me. Right? That's what we want. The Bible never gives us that number. The Bible doesn't give us that easy way out. Because you and I come at it from this perspective of how much do I have to give? And the scriptures call us to have a different attitude of how much can I give? Because what God is after is your heart. What God is after is, is, is the very center of your being. 
that is captivated by his grace and out of that relationship with him is willing to share in the privilege of serving his local church in a financial capacity. It is so all about your heart. It is the condition of your heart. Giving the free will offering to the church is all about the heart. Not an external requirement, not a legalistic code. It's a heart of love. It's a heart of grace. Giving is a grace from beginning to end. It's all about grace. It doesn't mean it's easy. Just because it's grace doesn't mean it's easy. And it doesn't mean you're always going to feel like it. And I know you face real financial pressures. And some of you are looking at me sideways going, I mean, honestly, do you really expect me to part with some of my hard-earned cash for the church? Do you realize what pressures I've got, what financial burdens I'm carrying, how big the mortgage is? And look, I've been in that boat as well. I remember when Anna and I first applied for pre-approval to buy a house. And you know, you sit down with the bank manager and you have to list all your expenses so they can work out the sum and how much borrowing they're prepared to give you. And we put in there the, the tithe, we call it a tithe, even though it's not technically a tithe. I wasn't going to explain the whole Levitical system to the, to the <laughs> bank manager. You know, it's just, let's call it a tithe. So we put that in there and she came back, rung me back and said, I just want to check up on, this, on these expenses you've put down. What is this tithe? that you've included there. She said, is this like a higher purchase type thing? Are you, are you locked in on some sort of contract where you have to pay this off? Like, is this an obligation? And, and I said, no, no. And she said, so it's a voluntary payment that you're making? I said, basically, yeah. I mean, we, we've committed to paying it, but yeah, it's, it's voluntary. In theory, we could stop it. And there's just silence. And you, and you just know what they're thinking, that you are just some kind of freak from another planet, you know? And I mean, we thought that about ourselves for a while, because you do the sums, don't you, in your head? And we thought, you know, we, if, if we just could cut that down a bit, cut down the giving to the church, the bank would be prepared to lend us more. That was quite clear. If we're just prepared to trim that back a bit, we could get whatever, the extra bedroom that we needed get a bit more, a house with a bit more of a section, whatever, you know. You do these sums and your mind goes down these paths and this is normal and this is not easy stuff. It's not easy stuff. I think that's why Paul cobbles together this grace of giving with some of these other Christian character traits. Have you noticed that? He talks about faith and love and knowledge and speech and earnestness, all these things that we would agree are part of practicing a Christian life. And he says, just as you excel in all these things, so excel in the grace of giving. It's just part of following Jesus. It is, and this is why it's so strange that it's taboo within churches, because it is just part of Christian discipleship. It's part of life, it's part of Christian life, it's part of church life. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy to be loving, does it? It's really hard to be loving sometimes for unlovable people, for people that have wounded you and hurt you and you find incredibly annoying. That's not easy. But it's still a grace, and we're still called to love, and it should come out of that relationship we have with Christ, but it doesn't mean you're going to feel like doing it. In fact, sometimes it'll be the exact opposite of what you feel like doing. So it is with giving. It's all about your heart, but that doesn't mean it's easy. It's all about the heart, but that means it's still going to take incredible discipline. It's all about the heart, but it's tough when you're facing real financial pressures to part with some of that money and give it to the church. Look at the situation that these churches are in that Paul talks about. These Macedonian churches, it's easy to kind of glamorize their situation. 
But Paul says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. These were not rich churches. These are not rich people. These are real men and women living in Greece in the first century in real financial need. They were at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. They were in, as Paul says, extreme poverty. I don't think he's making that up. I think this is where they were. Some of them were being sold into slavery. They were so poor. They were really, really struggling. But look at the next verse. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They, ple- they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. See, there's always reasons why we can't give to the church. There's always, if we wanted to make that list, we could all come up with 50 reasons why we can't possibly give to the church and why, we can't, why it's not feasible and you don't understand my situation and if you only knew this and that. But what about the reasons we can give? What about starting with the abundance of God? What about starting with the generosity of God who has been so good to us and so faithful to us, who has gone to the cross for us and now invites us to participate in the work of His church on earth and promises to sustain us as we're faithful to Him? What about rather than beginning with all the reasons that we can't possibly, I can't, I can't, what about starting with the reasons that we can? Because God has been good to us and because this is just part of following Jesus. Giving to the church is just part of following Jesus, just like faith and hope and love. It's part of following Jesus. There's a concept that pops up in the Old Testament around these free will offerings, in fact, around all offerings, that I think is so instructive for our thinking about giving and tithing to the church. It's the concept of the first fruits. Whenever Israelites brought offerings to the Lord, and especially at the beginning of the harvest time, when, when, when the fruit was just ripe on the vine and the veggies were looking fantastic and the harvest was so plentiful, what God asked is that each Israelite family brought the first of what they produced to the Lord. The first fruits, the first sheath, the first tomato, the first whatever. They brought it to the Lord. Nehemiah 10.35 talks about this. As the Israelites commit themselves to the Lord, they say, we assume the responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. And what, what God's trying to instill in his people is this discipline that giving to the Lord should be their first financial priority, not their last. That what they give over to him and to his work should be the very first thing and the best. And it so often seems that today when, when the belt needs to be tightened a bit and when the times are getting a bit hard, it always seems to be the first thing that goes is the giving to the church. You know, if it's between the Sky TV and giving to the church, what's going to go? You know, it's, it's like the church loses every time. And this idea of the first fruits is that God wants our giving to the church. Of course, all of our money belongs to Him. Don't hear me saying that only the bit you give to the church is God's money. It's all His money. But God wants our financial giving to the work of His church on earth to be our first financial priority, not our last. He doesn't want the scraps. He doesn't want the dregs. And He doesn't want the leftovers. He wants the first fruits, and he wants the best of what you produce and what you earn. Anna and I have tried just a simple little practice to to see if we can get this going in our own budget, and we've set up the AP so that when when the salary comes in, the very next day, the giving to the church goes out. 
I'm not saying this because we've, we've got this all sorted and we're great at it, but this is just a little technique, and, and it doesn't matter what date of the month it is, but there's just this principle that the giving is the first thing that goes out. The giving to the church is the first thing that comes out of the bank account after the salary has gone in. It's a simple way of us trying to acknowledge that this is our first financial priority. We don't even really consider that part of the budget. We just work out, okay, and then whatever's left, that's what we've got. That's what we budget around. That's what we have. There is just this non-negotiable commitment to giving God the first fruits of what He has given us. And honestly, friends, this is why it is so important that we teach this stuff to our kids, that we teach them early and we teach them well. I saw a great little piggy bank once that had three parts to it. There was a little house with a, with a slot for the money, and there was a bank, and there was a church. Three things. And so as, as the parents are giving the pocket money to the children, they're teaching them that a little bit goes, you know, you can spend, it goes into the house, you can spend that when and how you want. A little bit goes to the bank, that's the savings, and then there's a portion that goes to the church. From the very earliest age that you might start giving pocket money to your children, you should have that conversation about giving to the church. Because if you start trying to get the, the discipline of giving going at 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, it is hard. It is hard. I'm not saying it can't be done. It can, but it's hard. But if this has become a practice from the earliest age, that it's just natural, the money comes, as soon as the teenagers start earning, first part-time job, have the conversation about some of this money being allocated to the work of the church. So as that discipline gets going, as they grow older and older, this just becomes natural. Their lifestyle is worked around it. Other financial priorities are developed around it, and it's just part of who they are. We've got to teach people young this discipline of giving. So let me just give you a couple of practical steps in terms of getting started in this whole area. One, be intentional with it. If God wants our first fruits, if the giving to the church should be our first financial priority, rather than just relying on what you might happen to have in your pocket as you walk through the door, or remembering to you know, get a bit of money out of the bank, think about it, prayerfully consider it, talk about it as a family. Decide on a percentage of your household income that you will dedicate to the work of the local church where God's placed you. And if this isn't your local church, if you're just visiting here and you, you know, you're another church, that's totally fine, it doesn't have to be this church. The, the important thing is that it is a church. So be intentional and figure out what is, that, what is that sum of money. We want to give God the first fruits. We're going to be intentional and decide on what this will be. And then set up a system that's regular and reliable. I still think the best way to do it is the old electronic giving. I know some people are funny about that. And I mean, my grandma was a bit funny about this. She always told me, she quoted some verse from Malachi about how you've got to bring the tithe into the storehouse. I said, we don't meet in a storehouse. I didn't say that, actually. I didn't dare. But to, uh, you know, some people feel like you've got to physically bring the offering in each week, otherwise it doesn't count. But on, the main thing is that you're giving. The main thing is that it's happening. And believe me, it takes just as much pain when you see it go out of your online bank account as it does to hand over the cold hard cash. Set up a system that's regular and reliable. If that means bringing the check or the cash each week, if it means setting up the AP, the AP online is great. You set it up in a moment of strength and then you don't have to worry about it. As long as you don't go back and fiddle with it, just, you know, you set it up and then you're good to go. Figure out whatever system works for you that is regular and reliable. So let me just finish this morning. And you've been quieter today than you've ever been for any message I've preached, I know. <laughs> I can't wait to read the emails. But let me just speak to a couple of, you, couple of groups of you as we, as we wrap up today. Firstly, to those of you that are, that are followers of Jesus, 
and you're not yet giving to the local church, I want to encourage you to start. Just straight up, I want to just encourage you to start. This week, today, to start. Not for me, not for the staff, not for the elders, not even for the church, but for the Lord. Having given yourself first to the Lord, I want to encourage you to give yourself, and finances are a part of that, giving yourself over to the faith community where God has placed you. And I know some of you feel like this is just so impractical. I've got all this, all this debt, I can't possibly do it. I want to give you a little technique that might help. It's called the mustard seed giving. Based on Jesus' parable about the mustard seed, you know it's the smallest little seed, but it grows into the biggest tree. I firmly believe that if you are earning, you can be giving. There is a level at which you can be giving. Even if it's a dollar a week, there is a level at which you can be giving. And, I'll, and the discipline of getting into that practice is as important as the amount itself. You hear what I'm saying? Like the, the, just the very, just getting the wheel turning. So I encourage you to pick an amount, even if it is just a dollar a week, and get in the game. Set up the system, get the AP cranking, and then make a plan to increase over time. Maybe you double it each year to two, to four, to eight, whatever. But just get in the game, even if it's a minuscule little amount. Even, and, and I don't want to say minuscule because it's so relative, isn't it? A dollar maybe, you know, if you are crippled with debt, it's a big thing to give anything. I encourage you to take that mustard seed idea, the smallest little seed, the smallest little giving can become over time the biggest tree. And for those of you that are in the practice of giving to the church, I'm not going to say thank you because I really hope you're not doing it for me or for any one person. But I want to give you a little challenge. If it's true, as Paul says, that giving is a grace and is part of Christian character, just like faith, love, knowledge, speech, and earnestness, then isn't it also true that giving is a grace we should be growing in? Now it's really quiet. Because we tend to just set it, done, whatever it is, 10%, 8%, 12 whatever, we set it, and then that's it for life. So the salary might increase, but the giving increases proportionally, but not percentage-wise. But what if we committed ourselves to growing in the grace of giving? What if you said every year or every two years, we're going to increase our giving to the church by half a percent? And immediately we start to get anxious about that. Immediately we start to feel nervous and wonder how we're possibly going to survive five years down the track. And this, my friends, is what throws us back upon the abundant provision of God. This is where we've got to trust Him that He will provide for us as we faithfully honour Him and manage the resources He's given us. Can you, as a family or as an individual, put in plan a place to increase and to grow in this grace of giving as the years go by? In proportion to what the Lord has blessed you, can we give back to the work of His church? I remember when Anna and I were going through pre-marriage counselling, and... Uh, I wasn't, we weren't coming to shore at the time. I wasn't a pastor at the time. I just got my first job. I was earning the grand sum of 30K, pulling in the big bucks. And Anna wasn't earning at all. She was, just, she was uh, at uni still. And as part of our pre-marriage counselling course, we had to set a budget for our first year of marriage. We had to go through and figure out all our expenses and all our income. And we put in there our giving to the church as just an item of our expenditure. And I remember at the end of that whole exercise... We, we came up short. I think it was a couple of thousand dollars that we were out. 
the, the expenses and, and the income just did not connect. And we worked away at it. We tried to trim what we could. We really tried to keep that giving to the church as a solid, non-negotiable. We tried to look at other things. And I think at the end of the night, we still hadn't reconciled the budget. We just still had not figured out how we were going to uh, match the, the income with all these expenses that we had. And so we just kind of left it. And just this attitude of, well, God's just going to have to do something here. And you know, in that first year of marriage, we saved money. I don't know, I don't know how that happened. On, on paper, in theory, that should never have happened. But God was faithful. Not because we're great, not because we're so holy. Please don't hear, I hope you can hear my heart this morning. Simply because... In imperfect ways, we have sought to be faithful to God, and we have just found time and time and time again that He is faithful to us, that He's never let us go, and He's never let us languish. And it doesn't mean things have been easy, and it doesn't mean we've always had everything we've wanted, but He's been faithful, and He'll be faithful with you, friends, as you commit yourself to giving to the work of His church. I hope you can hear my heart this morning. The last thing I'm trying to do is lay guilt on you, or fear, or pressure, or obligation. Giving is about grace from beginning to end. Giving to the church is a grace from beginning to end. It's a grace because it comes out of the abundant provision of God in our own lives. His faithfulness, His love, and His his commitment to back us and provide for us all the way. And it's a grace because it's our loving response to that. It's a grace because it's our willing, heartfelt commitment to participate in the work of the church. And so my simple prayer is that our lives might reflect the words of Paul, that just as we seek to abound in, in the graces of faith and love and knowledge and speech and earnestness, may we also excel in the grace of giving. Let's pray. Father, you know we've been dealing with some tough stuff this morning. Lord, you know, I don't find this subject easy. And I'm so conscious, Lord, of, of how easy it is to guilt trip and coerce. And I just, just pray, Lord, that if anything I've said this morning is, has been perceived that way, that you would just take those words away. But Father, we do want to be individuals that honour you with everything we have. And just as we honour you with our relationships, with our time, we want to honour you with our money, our finances. And we thank you for the great privilege of being able to partner with the work of your church on earth. For the privilege of contributing financially to this movement on planet earth that is committed to the spread and advance of the gospel. Father, I ask that for each of us in this room, wherever we're at with this issue, that you just stir our hearts, soften our hearts, God, just to hear what you might be saying to us this morning about this issue. Lord, where there's resistance and where there's arguments, and Father, I just ask that you would soften. Make us willing to hear. Lord, make us willing to receive. If this is a step we need to take for the first time, we've never set this thing up before, we've never seen the value in it, never seen the importance, I pray, Lord, you would just create willing hearts and courageous hearts to step out in faith and begin the practice of giving. And Father, for others I ask that you might grow them in this grace of giving and that that might lead all of us just to throw ourselves at your feet and trust you that you're going to be faithful, that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, that all the money in the world is yours 
And if you clothe the lilies of the field, how much more will you look after us? Help us to be faithful and help us to do it out of willing hearts, not begrudgingly, but cheerfully, as you desire us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.